Hi, peeps. Help Me Be Me is underfunded and needs your help. If you enjoy listening to this or it helps you at all, please visit helpmebeme.com and click donate or visit me on Patreon. Thanks. Hi friends, it's Sarah May, and this is an episode called A Life Worth Living. So this is all for self-examination and basically how to maximize your growth as an individual, plus some tools to broaden, begin to broaden your depth. So basically how to get the most out of your capacity and your life experiences. Um, And this one is dedicated to Rich and Aldana, kind of mixture two requests together. So thank you both, and Rich, thank you for your donation. So I wanted to talk about growing the self, like basically expanding yourself. Maybe you're feeling like you're living a superficial life or life has become kind of a routine or a loop that kind of does the same thing every single day, and you feel like you're kind of moving as a part of a herd. So it's expanding yourself and getting to beginning to investigate a deeper layer to yourself. And um, I'm doing this because, Aldana, your recommendation was a really smart um, observation, which I've felt myself and I feel like a lot of people feel sometimes is culture and society currently has become much more of like a group decision. Like, I think everybody kind of plugs into social media and you become like kind of an, a part of like a crowd that does the same thing. Everyone watches the same shows. Everyone notifies each other on this kind of electronic interface where you can see everybody and they can kind of see you. So it's this like half version of life that's much more um, addictive and much less interesting. It's much less real. And because of that, it's like half of your friends will be on these things, social media or on their phone, connected to other half lives all around the world all the time. So you're actually getting a less real experience of your own life and people around you. And with that, you kind of get a less, uh, I don't know, less invested and less um, visceral, less real version of yourself. Because if your brain is always kind of in this thinking space, then, and you're connected to all these people all the time, it's like you're not really ever alone with your space, your yourself. People, some people call it psychic space. And I th- like to think of it as just reflective self, you alone with you, including all the other crappy feelings about yourself that maybe you'd want to avoid. And that's usually what we compulsively begin to soothe with devices, with social media, with like connection to anything, any stimuli whatsoever. And that includes like YouTube. So this is a um, kind of like our self-reflective path tuning up educational episode. And Rich, if you're like, this has nothing to do with what I asked, I will get to it in specific um, terms later. So I want to talk to about uh, everyone about how I perceive culture kind of as an organism currently. And as you listen to this, I want you to reflect on your own habits, like whether or not you feel 
you are inside this organism and at what level, or if you're on the border, or if you're able to be outside of it for part of your life, just alone with you. So just take mental notes and see how this sits with you. It's not wrong or right, so don't judge where you fit in as good or bad. It's just, it's allow, it's more so you can have a choice about maybe whether or not you want to change it, or if you're happy that way. So with that, there are three parts. The what, the why, and how, the tools. Yay. The what. And as you guys know, sorry to keep digressing, I am very much a fan of living life to the fullest, including feeling all of the feelings and the bad and the the really hard times and the really good times, just having the whole range. That is my position. You might have a totally different opinion of that, and that's fine, just so you know where I'm coming from. I think you only get one, fucking live it. Alrighty, here we go. The what? Soothing, avoiding, being partly somewhere else, always occupied. And that, by that I mean just using something other than the present. Being occupied by a device, being plugged onto some sort of app, using your phone as like a, a mechanism to remove yourself from wherever you are that's making you uncomfortable, including just being bored and in silence with yourself. And a lot of people do this, and they do it kind of unconsciously. It's become a more and more popular just state of being or more common state of being. And that's because emotional pain sucks. It hurts. It's what drives pretty much everything we do in culture. Like literally most of culture is built around ways to avoid discomfort. And by discomfort, I mean things like boredom and loneliness. And if you think about it, plugging in is really just a way to not be alone with yourself, not to be bored or worse, not to be tortured by thoughts of your own life and whether or not it measures up. So most of culture's pastimes are designed to avoid feeling bad or tired or not engaged and get a little kind of like self-medicate. It's all ways to self-medicate our little bursts of serotonin. So that's online shopping, online tabloids, regular tabloids, texting, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. All of these are stimuli like that will get us out of our thinking brain, our reflective brain, and also our emotions. So we can be always connected to something, which means we won't have to be alone and we won't have to be in one place. And therefore, we are not going to have to confront anything that makes us not feel good. So therefore, it's like a self-protective mechanism. To, it's a way to not be vulnerable to all of the things that you're not wanting to confront. Anything that might be less than perfect. So it's a way to silence your thoughts and silence or, or damper your emotions. So I want you to take a brief moment and just mentally go there now. Just imagine you without a podcast, without TV, without your phone, just you sitting on a bench, let's say on a street that's full of people and you have nothing, you have no props, you don't even have a book. So what does that feel like to you? It probably feels very uncomfortable and like you feel very exposed. And I feel like when I'm in that situation, it's it's like you suddenly are really close to those people. We have no protective barrier. 
And that is kind of the key to why most people do most things all the time, including plugging into social media and including um, taking a Xanax. It's like all these mechanisms to soothe any kind of slight discomfort. And soon they just become popular. They just become common. And then it's things that everyone socially accepts and therefore they just become pervasive. So all of this engaging in kind of mental headspace um, that is other than our own self is um, it's like a subversive form of putting on a shell, like a pacifier. So it's like a soothing mechanism and it keeps us protected from the full gravity of our full present experience. Because just like the bench I described, the present experience can make you feel unsure, can make you feel like you're not enough. It can make you feel like you are affected by everything around you and everyone around you, including what they think, their opinions. And in short, it requires you to participate in ways that make you, uh, cause you a lot wider range of feelings, including hurt, including pain, and including pain from yourself, your own judgments, your own analysis. So this is a way to numb that pain and make it all kind of okay. Everything becomes very doable and okay and like middle, almost like being in a womb, a womb called stimuli or the internet. So I just want to list all of these kind of what I'm calling soothing stimuli, the modern accessories, the cushions that are designed by our present day culture to help us avoid feeling anything that might be intense or painful. So there are meds like Adderall that stop us from feeling tired and Xanax stop us from feeling nervous or anxious. There are machine mode apps like Tinder, like Facebook, like Twitter, Instagram, that give us endless streams of stimuli and new information that takes us to somewhere other than wherever we are. And that's similar to like a slot machine. Just it's like a soothing scrolling thing. Um, there are pings that we get to our phones about the newest updates from the news, from celebrities, from friends. That is the same kind of thing. It's like uh, connecting us to another imaginary or another world that is other than where we are. There's I am chat apps that give you constant contact to other people that keeps you split. Like a solar system that's in your brain at all times. They, there are apps that connect us to audiobooks. We can have earbuds on all the time. You can read them twice as fast. There are limitless podcasts and um, content channels that can basically be fed into you simultaneously. Like you can listen to or you can watch Netflix. You can do that uh, on a 24-hour basis at the same time as having to do something less pleasant like work. You can just be on the background. It can also be something that is completely removed from uh, the internet. could be things like a fixation with physical body. So a beauty soothing mechanism. That would be like um, working out all the time, constantly working out or focusing on perfecting your physical body as a way to split your attention from your inner voice. Something to 
kind of give all of your attention to. Or food. Food is another one. There are sites like Amazon where you can shop and buy things with one click. That's like a little dopamine release. Um, you can do all of your shopping in one place. There is a uh, just the connection to all shopping online is a way to avoid having to deal with the outside world by having to go out of your house. You know, grocery store online shopping. You don't have to have the patience to go and stand in the line. You don't have to actually interact with a human being. You can just click. Um, so all of these things create uh, a less painful version of your everyday life. So what are the feelings that we now don't really have to deal with ever if we don't want to? Boredom, patience, fatigue, anxiety, stress from the overworking we're doing, um, mental burnout, you can kind of push yourself past that, loneliness, boredom, I already said boredom, insecurity, uh, deep depression, um, hurt, loneliness, pain, um, shock, if you're avoiding interacting with people on the street, you don't have to interact with people that are unlike you or that make you feel uncomfortable. Um, all of this sounds like a good thing, right? It sounds like a positive. I, I know in the moment when you're not feeling good, when you're feeling lonely, when you're feeling anxious, it's like you want it to go away. So the instinct is to help yourself. It feels like it's a good thing to get relief, like it's an ice pack on a burn. But it doesn't make that thing go away. It just gives you relief while you are living it. So in short, this is a kind of cultural decision we're all making. We're all doing it. Things are being developed to help us do it. But the catch is 99.9% .9 of us are doing it out of habit. And when we don't really need to, we're just doing it by default because that's what th there are things at our fingertips to do that. It's not also helping that thing go away. It's keeping that thing there, whatever, if there is a root cause to it, let's say it's anxiety or pain or depression or loneliness. That thing is not only not gone when we medicate, when we soothe, it actually gets worse, gets bigger because we're not treating it. We're not giving ourselves proper means to alleviate it. So this habit of soothing kind of perpetuates itself. And it's also a choice that we're making constantly every day billions of times a day. We're making it unconsciously. We're we're doing it out of habit. It's made a decision made out of convenience and made out of routine and because it's normal. It's cultural. Everybody's doing it. So why why not? It's fun. It's fun to watch the same show everybody else is watching and binge watch it and have conversations about that thing. But that show might not actually be of great value to your life. It might not be anything worth two shits when you're 99 and you're on your deathbed or let's say it's 199 and you're on your deathbed you won't give a fuck about game of thrones but that's probably occupying let's say 10 percent of your life and your life's conversations and that's because every uh all of these you know new developments are communicated to everybody on a mass scale so we're all kind of there's no reason for us to not do these things there's no reason to stop. 
it's just becoming a collective unconscious habit to be plugged into things other than your body and just the isolation of your own thoughts constantly. So we're living some in some split form of our our mental space all the time. And I'm not saying technology and convenience are bad. That's not what I'm trying to stay, say. I'm not trying to draw a line like don't do any of these Amazon Prime things because I'm a huge fan of Amazon Prime. Um, I'm saying they are great services. They enhance our lives in, like in many wonderful ways. Even meds serve their purpose. They were invented for very real reasons. But I want you to self-examine while you listen to this the trade-off you are making and whether or not that trade-off is um, what you want it to be. Like, be aware and conscious of what I call the ratio that is your life. And that's truly how you have to approach every day of your life. Because at the end of the day, your life will be a completely direct translation of how you approach today. So let's say you spent like a third of your day online shopping. A third of your life at the end of your life will have been spent doing shit you won't even remember. If that is not who you are and you would rather spend a majority of your time with family, then you need to readjust your daily ratio and you need to be at, for the first for that to happen, you have to be aware of where your time and your focus is actually going, including if it's half-assed. Like if you're spending time with your family but you're half on your phone, that is not actual time with your family. That's like um, a, a more shallow and less meaningful experience because your attention is split. Just like you can't read a novel and drive a car and see what's happening around your car, you can't live your life in the same way. So I want you to start to examine where your ratio needs to change and where you are unconsciously soothing and removing yourself from a full experience of your life. And if that's happening every day, that's a habit you need to become conscious of so that you can change it. Because this, because these are all mechanisms that become very habitual, they are very addictive also. So, for example, apps are designed to be addictive. And you can't even tell you're getting sucked into them until you're using them and your brain is getting, you know, the drug fix. You get addicted to them for a reason. It's not just because you're choosing it. It's just you're being affected by things. So... The trade-off is overall happiness and value, value lived in your life. So it might be helpful also to reflect on what your values are. What do you want out of this life? What do you feel? What are the moments in your life that you've been the most happy? What brings you the most joy? Is it being with friends? Is it having new experiences? Is it being with people you love? Think about what it is that's going to bring the most value to your life. Most of the soothing of vulnerability we do is not a conscious decision. It's just life and it's the way everybody lives it. So to not participate in something like that is to kind of feel like you're unplugging from the world. It might feel like you're being antisocial. But my argument is no, that is not antisocial. That is not life. 
being connected to all of these things is a projection of like a montage of life. That's like how it will be experienced by you on a kind of life value level. Although it's entertaining and although it feels like you're being connected to other people around you, like on apps, etc., it's still a projection in that it's like watching a movie of dolphins instead of swimming with a dolphin. And here's why that's important. The depth of your engagement in something actually translates to the range of emotional feedback felt by that interaction. So if you are experiencing something that is superficial compared to a full person in real life experience, you are not getting the most out of your life. The ratio of your life has been negatively affected and it is much less um, full and teaching you less than it would if you were having in-person real experiences. So I want you to picture somebody you know now, like somebody that you care a lot about, that you love being around, somebody that makes you really happy to be around. And I want you to picture being with that person, sitting next to them, hugging them, kissing them, whatever it is, holding them physically. And now I want you to picture FaceTiming with that person. It's a very, very, very different experience. There's so much more feedback that doesn't even happen on a visual level. You're getting a lot of feedback just from sensory experience and physical presence itself is almost like food. It's like just as vital to your being as food is. It's, if you've ever heard of failure to thrive, this, this is kind of an extension of it. This is like the most hyperbolic way I can describe this. Like a child will not grow without human love and touch and contact. You can't, you need it. You need to be around people. So think about where you get the most value in your current experiences. And if it's on Facebook, I think you need to start to make a deliberate change. I think you want, I want you to start to become more conscious of how you address your ratio in terms of um, the greatest amount of value you can get from this short increment of time that is your life. So where do you need to spend more of it and how much deeper do you need to go with it? And yeah, it's going to feel like awkward. It's going to feel like it's going against what you want and like you're missing out or you're slowing down or you're going to suddenly lose in favor, you know, you'll fall out of favor with other people. Like there are all these fears associated with lessening your engagement or your connection to the social organism that is the internet. But that fear is really just uh, the fear of being uncomfortable. I, the majority of it is the fear of being alone with yourself and not having something to do. The actual ramifications of unplugging and not being completely connected to the organism that is the internet are very small. You can use them as tools and keep them in a very specific kind of box in your life. And in that box, they don't take over a third of your brain all day, every day. They just become the same thing like when you check the mailbox. Did the mail come today? 
and I mean your physical mailbox at your house, that the mailbox is not something you fixate on and you check every five seconds. It just, when you need to check the mail, you do. The same goes for every other device and every other platform and every other soothing mechanism. It has its place, but it doesn't take over you, the person. It's not owning a ratio of your lifetime. So if you can translate your day, this is a great place to do this self-examination. Just take today or yesterday, if it's like early in the morning right now. Where did you spend the majority of your time yesterday? And if you can't remember, you're like me, because I can't remember either. But try and just track your day today. Look at how much time you've spent on internet shopping, on checking how many times per hour you check your phone, how many times per hour you check Facebook, how much time you spend on Facebook, how much time you spend on every app, how much time you spend on Netflix, all of anything that could be potentially giving you half of the experience of your life versus the full experience. Just keep a kind of a mental list or a physical list on a piece of paper that's not on your phone. And just see where your time is going, truly. And when you do get that list together, ask yourself, how does this ratio sit with me? Am I really getting to the meatiest parts of my life? Am I getting a lot of value out of this experience? If this day was representative of the rest of my life, would I be really stoked on that life? Or would I be kind of like, that was like every other person I know's life. So this is about self-examination and whether or not you want to expand that range. And if you're hearing all sorts of weird sounds, that's because I am in a parking structure. (laughs) So I'm on my lunch break and this is when I record. And one day I'm gonna have a fancy studio like all the podcasters I listen to and it's gonna be fucking awesome. And then it'll be complete silence around my voice. But for now, yeah, you're hearing a bunch of like random people walk by. And cars, etc. Apologies. I know it's probably annoying. So where was I? Okay, the meaty parts. So right now I want you to ask yourself, how much of my life have I been living unconsciously? And how often am I simply plugging into something as a way to look in the other direction? That's this first part of the self-examination. So now I'm going to go into the second part, which is the why. Why is this um, sort of a tendency just to drown yourself out? We are social beings and we will automatically follow what crowds do. It's like, um, I don't know if you've ever seen that clip of like the candid camera elevator scene, like when all these people are just turning around for no reason and taking their hat off for no reason and the unsuspecting person will do it as well. That is how we activate um, automatically. Like if a whole crowd does something, we will more likely do it. And we will, if everybody is heading in a certain direction, we will favor that direction just because it's, it's something other people are doing. Additionally, if um, somebody is charismatic, then we will feel like they are correct. We will more likely believe that they are um, somebody that we should follow. We, like, will agree with them just because they are charismatic. So if you apply that to shows that you watch or groups of friends that you admire, like, by just your biology, you are more inclined to act 
as they will. If, um, if you're around an authority figure, or celebrities I would call authority figures, you will also believe them to be more uh, intelligent. Like you will believe in what they say more so. So that's how marketing works. That's how uh, celebrity spokespeople work. It might seem completely arbitrary, like, why am I going to buy water just because that person buys the water? But there's uh, an integral part of your biology that will want to buy the water because other people who uh, you respect or, or are appealing to you buy that water. Additionally, when we feel, you know, vulnerable or threatened just because we are... Um, scrutinized by others, what we will try to do is um, apply things that we associate with positives or power or good um, good things that signify something good about us. We will kind of apply those to our identity as a way to feel more secure, as a way for our ego to kind of reaffirm we are good. So we will, that's why people like to buy like expensive brands. It's a way to reaffirm to your ego that you are valid, that you are a quality person because you're associating with something else that's good. If this is all sounding like not true for you, like if you're feeling resistance to a lot of this information, just another random fact I wanted to throw at you. We tend to, in general, um, focus on information and experiences that confirm our beliefs in, in general. So we won't see proof of the other side of an argument. We won't see the proof of reasons to believe that doing all of this is a good idea if your beliefs are different. That's just what our, our, our eyes gravitate towards, things that confirm our beliefs. And that's that goes for everything. And that's because we are trapped by just ourself, our own fabric. This is our, our lens that we view the world through. The only reason I threw in that last thing was just to remind you that you have um, a choice. You also have a choice to go through the exercise of like self-examination and deciding if you want to tweak anything. So I would, I would remain open. Why, why should we go deeper? What's the reason to even go past the superficial, I would call it thinking range, of life experience. Like why choose to hurt and feel all the pain? It seems like a crazy thing to do. And especially when it's something that's wasteful. Like why feel bored? Why would we want to sit with boredom? And why would we want to feel the pain or investigate it? So here's the thing about experiences. Why we move through them is because they change us. So all experiences you have even if they feel trivial and not worth, worthwhile at all, you actually grow while you go through them. You grow as a result of them. And also as you go through them, you become, it's like growing muscles. It's like doing reps. Every time you go through an experience, you are better at going through that experience. So you take with you a gift and that's through every experience. And in the next time you go through the same thing, you will be better at doing that thing. And you basically get more empowered. The more you go through things, the more you are empowered to go through deeper things. So it's like, it's like a fine wine, you know, it's like the thing everybody says. And in a literal 
way, your life gets richer because you have gone through all of the past experiences. For example, all of the worst shit that's ever happened to me is the reason that I am happiest today, which is kind of a catch-22 because it's like saying, well, fuck, am I supposed to try and go through terrible shit? No, (laughs) don't do that. But know that when you go through really hard stuff, it's a gift in disguise always. It's hard to think of it that way because it's like, I don't want to go through horrible stuff. I don't want to feel pain. But on the outside of that experience, you have like a new superpower. It's literally how you gather superpowers. So, for example, (laughs) sounds awful. I know it sounds awful. The last really bad thing that happened to me, I literally thought in the back of my head, oh, good, I'm going to get some new deeper uh, form of compassion that I can bring to you guys. Like, literally, that's what my brain is thinking. Like, excellent, I'm in terrible pain. (laughs) But it's true. I mean, you get, like, a vastly more profound understanding of the world and greater insight into other humans. You get, everything tastes better. It's like the volume goes up and the colors turn up every time you have a new experience, including something you don't really want to have. And that's just the nature of life. Life changes you. When you go through it, life enhances you. You grow understanding. Experience breeds understanding. And while I do believe you can learn from another person's story, you can experience emotions and empathy via fiction, like via watching, for example, Game of Thrones, it's not as uh, 360 as it is when you go through an experience yourself. Like, why wouldn't you want to get mightier, stronger, happier, deeper? And because then from that platform, you can see more, you can feel more, you can be happier, you have an actual greater capacity for happiness, and you can understand more. You evolve in all directions. So you get smarter emotionally and also just in your understanding of things, and you become more compassionate and When you resist or avoid things, they fester. They get worse. They get more powerful. So let's say you avoid a fear. That fear gets scarier if you avoid it. And I know that for a lot of you listening, it's probably really, um, it feels like it's a survival decision because the pain of hurt or a vulnerability is so completely overwhelming and intense. Like it, you feel like anything could shatter you. So it's almost like, To not be able to soothe is like sitting in a fire. And I know that that super intense feeling of pain is just, it's like torturing yourself. I know that very well. It's like, it feels terrible and awful. And like you can't, you do anything to just jump out of your skin. But that also passes. There will be a time when that feeling ends. And if it doesn't kill you, you will move through it. And the next time, it will hurt less, and you will know better how to take care of yourself. And then the next time after that, it will be a little bit more manageable than the time before. And then next time after that, you will be way more adept at helping yourself out of it. And then the next time after that, you will help others with it. Remind you of anybody? I'm talking about myself. But if you only actively um, avoid it, that thing is going to get scarier and scarier. And you're basically putting like a numbing agent on top of something that needs 
uh, needs you to do something more um, holistic in reaction to soothing it. So, like, to distract ourselves is really not a, um, a proper solution versus knowing how to pass the emotion itself. That is something that, like, doesn't require you resist it. It means you confront the thing. Because when you actively move through pain or, or uncomfortable feelings or things that we don't want to go through, this is when um, you become, you, you grow more understanding and you become more powerful. You get to know yourself better. And this is also when you become aware of how small these little blips are in our life. And they are not allowed to control you. Because when you avoid feeling certain things, you allow that thing to change you. You allow it to basically retard your growth and your evolution. It's like you start overcompensating to go around that thing. And that's when you're reacting to the thing instead of knowing how to own it and get through it and not let it detract you. So the not looking at it makes that spot um, bigger than it is. It makes that thing uh, more um, powerful than it needs to be in your life. And then in turn, it, like, it prevents you from growing a muscle. So let's say you as a child were overprotected by your parents and you were very, you had a lot of social anxiety and your parents made sure that you never ever felt vulnerable. You never had to be, you didn't have to go to school if you didn't want to, that kind of thing. That makes uh, that muscle in you where you get beat up and made fun of, it makes your spot softer and that muscle never grows now. So you have a disadvantage because of having avoided all that pain. It makes you also more fragile as an adult. So the same goes for how you approach your everyday life. If you avoid feeling pain, you're not growing the muscles that will actually enable you to tackle much uh, bigger things and you're just basically underdeveloping yourself as a person. Like, if you were to live your entire life plugged into your phone and watching television or watching shows all the time, you will become a much more shallow individual. You become, your range as a person is, is far more limited than somebody that's been through a lot of stuff. So this kind of is a habit. If you avoid feeling pain, it's a habit that catalyzes more of the same style of coping. And so it's like selective feeling. And because your range is limited, now you're choosing things based on that range. And it's you're basically like creating a much more narrow scope of life. You're also not getting feedback about your own understanding of the world, like um, what you think and what you believe and what your values are will come from the range of your experience. So that understanding is really vital to just having a good life, having a happy life, and um, advancing in that life. But more importantly, the most pain we experience is in the resistance. It's in the avoiding of something. It's in the wanting to not feel it. It's because we are avoiding it or resisting it that we hurt. It's not actually that thing. We're creating extra pain in our attempt to avoid pain. And so it's all self-inflicted. I mean, yes, there is some uh, ratio of this that is the actual pain itself of like, 
like being in a new school where you don't know anybody is really fucking painful and scary. But the um, trying to avoid that and like fixating on that fear is the self-inflicted part of it. That's the part that hurts the most. The resistance and the fixation is the, um, the grasping for control. So when we remove resistance to something, like meaning the narration, the mental narration, the interpretation, the, the grasping for any kind of control we have in a situation, the actual thing is very uh, small. It's not as bad. For example, think of it like the moment you, if you have your ears pierced, think about the moment you got your ears pierced. Like right before that gun put the ear, earring through your ear, you were like, ha, 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 ha. And then afterwards you were like, oh. So we kind of all experience pain as that moment right before. Like the, ah, no, ah, yeah, I don't want, I don't know if I want to. Like that's the worst part of it. The actual thing is very small and also very short um, in comparison to all of the thinking we do around that thing. You will probably not see the majority of what motivates your, um, your, the emotions you feel and the grasping and the fixating kind of emotions. And that's because they're just too integral to your perceptive structure. Like, you, you can't really understand why you are grasping at something. Like, well, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I don't want to go there at all. Like, that grasping is coming from fear. But often you can't even perceive that you are fearful because it's just coming from who you are. It's like this kind of muscle memory is built by your your coping mechanisms, including what you have chosen to avoid. But you can do something I like to call circling them and like basically like taking a highlighter to your life and examining yourself on a very objective level, like transcribing notes about yourself almost and your behavior, and then using kind of these other self-examination tools to trace back kind of your true motivations. So we're going to do some, I'm coming up to part three, we're going to do some tools that actually will help you circle the underlying motivations in your life currently. More specifically, where you are potentially avoiding pain and grasping or fixating on things that are out of your control or attempting to control them in ways that are um, hurting your life and causing you way more pain. So this is like kind of a manual workaround system. And you'll be able to apply these tools in the moment you are feeling um, grasping or fixating or pain or fear. And then you will, as a byproduct, be able to evolve and grow your capacity by choosing to act against this thing. It's just like every, I, I think the majority of what I teach is like when you have awareness, the first part of any change is just understanding how it works and having awareness. Once you have the awareness, you can choose differently because you can actually see what's happening. You can slow it down. So that's, that's what these tools are aimed at. And it's quite literally um, ways to start to widen your scope as a human. So starting to expand yourself by choosing in favor of something other than what is the underlying emotion. Usually it's fear. So, um, and you're actually going to be able to avoid a lot more pain, ironically, by using these tools. 
Which brings me to part three, the tools. Tools to grow your inner muscles. So these are all about self-examination. And um, I recommend you grab a journal because a lot of these are written. All right, here we go. So the very first tool is called make it into growth. So if you have any pain, this is just when you're in that moment of pain, why not milk it and get something out of it? Most of the pain we feel comes from two things, grasping and fixating. So when you're in that moment of pain, and like if it's uh, you're lonely or you're depressed or you're um, angry at a spouse or whatever it is, in that moment, break down the play-by-play. So this is a, a way to actually work around, um, it's also a journal exercise, but it's a way to work around when you have a really powerful emotional reaction to something. Because I know when I notice the underlying emotional pattern myself, I can see how it's like a childlike emotion and it's very understandable. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. It's not so complicated. And that's when I can really be compassionate and see it for what it is. And that's when I can actually change the reaction to something new. I can actually manually put myself into new steps based on just the exercise of untraining my built-in reactions. So this self-examination um, is what allows emotional reactions to be broken down. Like just slowing it down long enough to stop it from driving you unseen. And that makes it no longer a reaction. Instead, it just becomes um, a choice. It becomes conscious. And though the, the reactions will exist, they will become less and less powerful. So... When you go through this breaking down of whatever the emotion is, let's say you're super overwhelmed and panicked. This is your journal exercise. Look for two things, clinging and fixation. Ask yourself, are you clinging to something? And then ask yourself, are you fixating on something? Um, And whatever those things are, now... The next thing you want to answer, what does it feel like? Whatever, if it's the clinging or if it's the fixation, what does it feel like in your body? Describe uh, the actual physical place it is in in your body. So if it's in your chest or if it feels like it's in your belly. Um, Even if it's vague, even if you're like, I don't know where it is, just write something. And then now describe what that feeling reminds you of. If anything, what does it remind you of from childhood? Next, I want you to ask or answer, what does all of you want to do right now? Like, what is the reaction that you want to do? So write down the answer to that question. Let's say you want to, like, run and binge drink or you want to, like, yell at somebody. Whatever it is, write down the thing you normally are going to do. And then the last question you can answer is, what can you choose to do that's different? What would be a zag response? So, for example, you might choose to run into the fear and, like, embrace it a thousand percent. Or you might choose to not think about it anymore, not allow your brain to think to rest on it. Just by changing your reaction to anything different, you have already empowered yourself to undo the emotional reaction you have. 
it just gets a little bit slower and with that it loses its power and each time you do this you will enable yourself to untrain that reaction that's number one tool number two this is a mantra don't get morbid if you're a type a person you are likely an overreactor and i say that with love because i am like you too and it's just partly because to be a type a person you have prepared um in the past when you're growing up for really stressful situations this is just how your personality formed and it's why you now are very good at making things better it's why you're a go-getter but when it comes to your perception you craft walls to keep you operating safely uh, that help you operate but and and that's just how everybody is if this then that you have to kind of create these rules for the the universe if this then that however these hurt you when it comes to this kind of self-inflicted pain because you are overreacting to things. Everything is more dire in your perception than it is to most uh, other people. So the catch is you make, we all make things into more solid and major uh, situations just via our perception of them. So things be, like there's no problem unless you make a problem, you know, like there's no nothing wrong with getting sick unless you are uh, resisting or freaking out about getting sick. Otherwise, it just is a thing that happens. It's not good or bad. It's kind of like when animals kill each other in the wild. It's not good or bad. It just is part of existence. But with people like type Ayers and everybody else, when you uh, react to something and you perceive it to be negative, it becomes a more major or uh, real circumstance just by feeling something about it. All of a sudden it becomes like, now it is something really bad. Like we make it into something that it's not. And then, and we perceive things to be more immovable than they are in reality. Like, for example, let's say you have a, you, you think you have a problem with um, confidence. Just that perception has more reality to it because of the fact that you have a belief. Like, it just becomes more true and more immovable. So, in this process um, of using this mantra, don't get morbid, when you're in that moment... Let's say you're freaking about, out about something or you're feeling doubts about something. Try and remind yourself you're just getting morbid. You're just making things morbid. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Maybe things aren't that bad. Let that be your first initial reaction. And the reason I say that is usually it's not that bad at all. If we can just remind ourselves in the moment to step back and say, assume it's probably not that bad at all suddenly you're able to see it a little bit more clearly. Like, maybe I don't have to be upset about that thing. Maybe it's not a big deal. Maybe I don't have to care about it at all. Because the nature of pain is we hold on to it. We clench, we fixate, and then our minds make it into something serious and dire, and we build it up. We, we want it to stay. It's almost like an ego wound thing. It's to cling to stuff. But you don't have to do that. 
you're allowed to change your feelings about it. Just start by reminding yourself, don't get morbid. Maybe it's not that bad. Maybe everything just is. There's a Buddhist quote that says, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the experts, there are few. And that's because as you get older, you start to make up all these rules for the way things are supposed to be. And suddenly those rules keep you bound. Like you stop realizing everything is optional. Everything you think is optional. I feel like the smartest people I know know how little they know. It's like the more wisdom you get, the more you realize is completely unknown to you. So never let your own beliefs trap you. Find a workaround. Number three. This one is for you, Rich. This is called hack yourself lens. I mean lens like a contact lens. So how we relate to ourselves was shaped by how we coped growing up. And in part by what our parents told us was good and bad about us with their responses to us, with their reactions to us. What we reject in ourselves represents what we find intolerable, what we find intolerable in just the universe at large. So if we find ourselves unacceptable or we give up on ourselves, we will also give up on the rest of the world. So if we lack tolerance for ourselves, we will lack tolerance for the world. And if we don't have compassion for ourselves, we won't have it for others. All of this process inside of you is actually something that was taught to you by your caregivers. Your, uh, your tolerance for error and how you perceive good and bad and good enough in yourself all was encoded into you by your parents and how they taught you to deal with things like painful emotions. So your parent will react to you by, let's say, either supporting you if you are, let's say, feeling insecure and afraid. Your parent will either talk to you about it, make you feel okay about it, make you feel accepted. Or, for example, they will react to you um, with intolerance or, or an inability to help you. And so usually what that does is tell a kid they have to put this thing elsewhere. They can't bring up this problem. Having this problem is not um, appropriate. So this actually creates your coping mechanisms uh, as an adult. So when you have a lack of compassion for yourself, it actually comes from extreme vulnerability. And it means that you're holding tight to um, not letting go of a belief. Like, this is a way to f- make yourself feel secure. So this is something we do when we, are, we feel really, really uncomfortable and um, bad about ourselves. Like, we don't know what to do with that feeling. It's how we self-protect. We create order. So this is like a, an, an expanded w- view of this is we have created rules and laws about the world and about the way things are supposed to be that we can point to. It's like our ego reaffirming the laws of nature, but for ourselves. And in, a, in that process, we kind of have a buffer. The logic empowers us to arrange things. And that order becomes the focus for blame. Assigning fault 
and rules is a way to create some buffers around ourselves. It's like a way to protect our vulnerability. And we kind of strengthen this set of rules with our logic and our rationalizations of what is right and what is wrong. And it's what will keep it separate from us and therefore much more manageable. We can point to this is the thing that's wrong. This is the thing that's right. But that in itself is an extra layer removed from just feeling really fucking vulnerable. So this is also how we solidify our beliefs. We say this is the thing that's wrong. It's like a way to create kind of like a, a, a truth from nothing for us to feel like we can hold on to. This is wrong. This is right. And this is why. And this is just kind of an age-old method for feeling better in pain. It's a way of managing it. It's like a, we create these terms so that we can feel stable. And it's where we can, th- we can feel like things make sense. This is because of this. This pain is because of this. So when we have a, let's say, an intolerance, a personal intolerance or a belief that we are bad, like we don't feel compassion for ourselves. This is a defense mechanism in order to feel uh, safe and in control. And even though we don't feel good about it, even though it hurts us, when we are right, we feel good. When we feel like we have a, a command of what's where we are in the world, we feel good. We feel in control. Because when we feel wrong, we feel very scared and uh, our ego feels attacked, untethered, out of, you know, you don't feel like stable and balanced. That's why when you feel shame, you feel anger as a reaction. It's just a way to protect yourself from the shame. And that's like the ego's defense mechanism. So all of this is really just kind of a layer of stucco that's on top of the truth that your life is out of your control. And The feelings that you have can make you feel very vulnerable because they are not in your control. So all of these, like any situation or any um, emotion you might go through, let's say it's extreme shame, like you can perceive that experience in a million different ways. But when we don't have the ability or the, um, we haven't been taught the bravery to experience those feelings safely, then we will blame. That's when we use blame as a mechanism. We try to create these rules and we try to self-protect. We try to separate ourselves from it. I hope that all made sense. So the good news is, this is where the tool is. I know that's a lengthy introduction to the tool. The good news is you can change how you feel about all of these internal mechanisms. You can change how you feel about yourself. We can basically undo the framework by simply remembering that we have a choice. It's just that act of noticing that we are in a state of um, blaming things or shutting down, of like retracting, of like declaring like these are the rules and this is why and this this is what's wrong. In that moment, remembering that we have a choice and backing up far enough in the moments of judgment and blaming to recognize that we are grasping for security. 
and that this is actually a process that's happening. So just stepping back from yourself and not reacting, like not allowing the thoughts to carry you, but instead just watching them, this is when you can actually slow it down and change it. Because when you're in that belief, when you're feeling it and you're allowing it to take over your body and make you um, a victim of its uh, belief system, that's what separates you from the actual solutions. That's what separates you from the ability to do anything about it. So just by softening and backing up and stepping back and just giving some space and not reacting, it'll give you access to kind of the real understanding um, of what's happening. You can take it apart and watch it in slow motion. And with that, you can figure out a, a different method of being. And that's when you can get to a state of relief and change. So this is the actual part of the tool. I know, it's like an hour. Um, so hack yourself lens. This is a journal exercise, and it's for self-blame in particular. But anything, really. If there's anything you have in like your automatic reactions that hurts you, you can use it for that. So in your journal, in this moment of when you're feeling like this thing, you're going to ask yourself, what are you blaming right now? Like, just answer that question. What, and then this is the second question you're going to ask yourself. What is the underlying feeling beneath that title slash explanation? What is the emotion? And get super micro about how that feels. Like, what is the what is the underlying ingredient? Is it shame? Is it fear? Whatever it is, circle just like train a thought, right? That shit down. Whatever um, it is, circle the potent and simple emotion that is at the bottom layer. So, for example, if it's um, I'm afraid people aren't going to like me. Uh, I feel scared and lonely. It'll be something that sounds like a child. In general, it'll sound like something very young. So the last step, once you circle those emotions, is feel compassion and um, try to feel compassion and try to understand why you would have that emotion. Like, doesn't that feel like a completely normal human emotion to have? And the answer is yes. Like, isn't that a very universal kind of experience to have. And the last, very last step is choose to accept it as it is. It just is something you feel. And now um, feel compassion for yourself, like feel love for yourself for having, feeling this kind of suffering. And the last um, thing you can do to help yourself is come up with a new reaction that you get to decide to have, like that will re replace the habituated response. Like whatever you normally do, which is to like close off and not talk to people or whatever it is, you're going to choose a new actual physical action to take that is not the thing you normally do. Whatever it is, it just has to be different. Okay, that's number three. Rich, I hope that made sense. So I hope these helped. I know that's a little uh, self-heavy, self-focused, but that's a good thing. Make it a fun, indulgent exercise. In closing, I want to thank first my monthly sponsors. I want to give a shout out to Rich. Thank you very much for the topic and also for your donation. You're awesome. Um, so 
In closing, what this is all about is cultivating an ability to stay kind of floating on top of the waves in like a nice uh, pair of uh, arm floaties. So it's like an emotional uh, approach to your life experience experiences because it'll make you able to move through the hard stuff and choose how you want to relate to those things. So not get swept up by them or spend years trying to swim away from them. And it'll also help you avoid unnecessarily, you know, resisting something that would actually not be that bad. Because what happens is eventually we forget all of the places that we've resisted and they just become part of us. So the goal is to do everything in your life as if it's the only thing that matters all the while knowing it doesn't matter at all. That is a quote from another Buddhist, and I can't remember where it's from. A lot of this is inspired by the book. Um, we'll put it in the blog version of this post, but it's inspired by the book When Things Fall Apart, which is such a fucking amazing book. It's really it's similar to my voice, actually. The, I would say the writing style is like very similar to my speaking style, I, I think. Um, but in general, I believe real, in-person, full-range experiences are the way to go. Just they give you depth and they give you identity. And if you made a conscious choice on the total outcome, the sum of your life and its worth, I would bet you would choose the same. Because the bigger, brighter, deeper, more eventful approach to life is just it's got a greater range. So don't you want to experience the greatest joys, even if it comes with suffering? Or do you only want the okay, so-so middle without having to ever change or try hard? If you chose the latter, then I will also ask you, what's the point? Isn't it all just one long kind of binge watch of a show called Your World? Because when you face up to things the things that make you feel awkward or face up to all the feelings you have and kind of accept them and move through them consciously, then you actually change. This is when you can undo the looped-in responses. This is when you can actually overcome greater and greater obstacles. And this is when you come out the other side uh, a much bigger person and a happier person because you have all of the tools you need. This is also when you can over um, look beyond all the shitty trivial things. This is when you can let go of the small stuff and the little stuff stops sticking to you. There's all sorts of benefits. I say go for the rich life because that's where everything is brighter and more colorful and the food tastes better and the sex is better and the laughter is harder and all of that good stuff. So with that, I hope you enjoyed this. Um, and if you did, please share it or please give me a review on iTunes. I appreciate it a lot. And uh, don't forget to smile. Smile.